y'all come on in, take your shoes off, sit on down. Y'all listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. This here is another edition of Trying to Herd Cats, the philosophical podcast where we throw anonymous quotes at anonymous folks and see what blows out. And at the end of the podcast, I will reveal the source of the quotes. So let's get to it. First quote is, the fish said to the water, you cannot see my tears because I am in the water. The water said to the fish, I can feel your tears because you are in my heart. I feel like that because my dad was so grumpy and angry, and I mean, I love my dad, we're, right. we're great friends, but you never know. And so I got really, really good at judging the temperature of a room. I mean, I really feel like I'm good at like sitting in a room and saying and noticing like that person doesn't like what that person over there is doing. And I pay attention to it a lot. Like I care a lot if everybody in the room is okay. How am I? And I think. <laughs> Can you feel my pain right now? <laughs> no, That's maybe. A terrible not. answer. I think I'm just aware of people's mannerisms. Has that made you super articulate about how you like your facial expressions at a party, or? I think it makes me, yeah, very aware and very diplomatic. Like I, I try to critique with care. Yes, I try really hard to care about the way somebody receives information from me. Again, the fish said to the water, you cannot see my tears because I am in the water. The water said to the fish, I can feel your tears because you are in my heart. Do you have anybody in your heart? Yeah. Who? My family, my friends, and God. Okay, so when any of your family, your friends, or God are sad, do you really feel it? I can feel when my family and my friends are sad, but I don't know when. Well, I know when God's sad, it's like when we do something wrong, and he'll probably get sad. I think it's when it it rains, that's he's crying about something. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, the fish said to the water, You cannot see my tears because I am in the water. The water said to the fish, I can feel your tears because you are in my heart. How I interact with the world is very much uh, in recognition of the principle that there is no division between us. I'm not sure how I came upon the viewpoint of looking at everything on a molecular level as I go through the world. when I was younger, I would get down in the grass and just look at things and watch the entire world, and I've always loved microcosms. Um, and it seems to me the macro follows those same templates that are started in subtle ways. So you can find a, a bond? Well, I mean, I just with... really, as I'm going through my day, things dissolve, and I'll we'll just, like, look at us on the level that like, you know, there's, there's no division between me and you, between my molecules and yours, between me and the air. When we go down close enough, we haven't found a thing. There's not a thing, you know? There's just more space inside of space inside of space and all these apparent boundaries and divisions, but they're really just, you know, different levels of observing the world. And each one is, you know, a system unto itself and then building blocks. Um, 
I think very often about how the water that's in me has been around since the very beginning. I think very often in a practical fashion about every single element that's in me having started on the other side of the universe um, and the potential for that carrying information. But even so, just being connected, you know, the whole we're all made of the same stuff, how very different could we be really when we get down to it? All of us have more in common than we don't. And I just, I mean, you know, we're made of water and... It might carry memory, it might not, but regardless, the whole concept of we're in this together, you know, and the fish crying in the ocean. That's very interesting because we're talking about salt water in the first place, right? I love the idea that we share a heart. There, there was a musical figure, Ashid who passed away not long ago, and his, his saying was one heart. It seems to me that uh, different molecules animate themselves differently. Mm-hmm. Basically, there's different personalities or people have different right. behaviors. Certainly. So how do you keep the, the, the attitude that you have that there is no division and yet differentiate or do you differentiate? Or, oh, right. Accounting uh, for personality and perspective yeah. and identity, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially when we get Thank down you. to the point where 90% of the cells in our bodies do not carry human DNA. Mm. You know, I mean, yes, if we're going by bulk, the bulk of me is human, sure, but I've got all these little buggies in me vying, and they have certainly been proved to have an effect on consciousness. Certainly, you know, the water you drink becomes part of you and affects your health, and your health affects your mentality. When people share an experience, they're bonded together. It's interesting, you know, we use bonding. That's something also that happens with you know, molecules. (laughs) I love the idea that you can be part of something like inside it, but still adding to it. It's almost like the lotus blossom, you know, constantly from within there's this renewal and this different way to look at it, the perspective, the personality, getting back to that. Uh, Like, where does consciousness come from? I, I saw recently an article that was talking about Consciousness is just the brain's way of describing it to itself. You know, it makes this image, this projection of everything it encounters, and by processing this information makes an image of itself. And they're suggesting that's what we call consciousness. Okay, you know, as we go through our lives, we have different points of consciousness, you know? So when these molecules animate mm-hmm. themselves and do destructive things, mm-hmm. like selfish things, you know. Uh, right. Yeah. How do you account for that, do you think? I draw out the arc from what's happening in my own body. We're not all on board. Some of my little critters in me are working against me, and some of them are working for me, and even the ones working against me are actually strengthening my immune system. I know that a plant needs wind on it to be strong enough. On a spiritual level, I tend to believe we're here until we learn not to hurt ourselves. Um, As a gardener, I look at how selective weeding and pruning is one of the best things I can do for the plant. I think that we learn through trial and error. I feel like we're just a bunch of eyeballs on one great being, and this is how we get to know ourselves. Again, the fish said to the water, You cannot see my tears because I am in the water. The water said to the fish, 
I can feel your tears because you are in my heart. This is very true. I do feel lonely. Before I met you, before I get married, so I try to use some words to describe my loneliness at that time. So one day I got this saying, and I found this is exactly what I thought. So you're saying before we became friends and before you met your husband, you couldn't find like good good friends or true friends. Yes. You know, in China, you can make a lot of friends, hundreds or thousands, but it will be very hard to get one true heart, true friends, or soul friends. Uh, soul friends, yeah. I think it's true anywhere, maybe. I can play, I can eat, I can study with all my classmates, but you still feel lonely when you're alone. I probably have had many acquaintances, maybe people that I like, and maybe they like me, but there's not the the deep understanding of each other. Yes. Yeah. It, you just need to feel it by yourself. You cannot say it out. Do you felt like you were the fish or you were the water? I'm the fish. <laughs> okay. Why are you not the water? Because the society is the water. I'm just one of the fishes in the water. I'm just like a little bit of fish, which so easy to die and so easy to be forgotten in the water, in the society. But in the poem, it seems to indicate the water cares, or am I mistaken? Yes, it cares. So do you think society cares about you? Yes, the society needs, the people needs the population uh, to compose so you're saying the society cares about you and in that it needs you, but it may not actually know you or love you. No. Okay. I'm just one of them, oh. but not so important to them. Oh, that's, that's heavy. <laughs> Can you say that, that first part in Chinese? Because that's the first poem that I ever learned in Chinese because of you. Okay. 鱼对水说：“你看不见我的眼泪，因为我在水里。”水对鱼说：“我能感受到你的眼泪，因为你在我心里。”Where did you find this poem? I forgot. That's <laughs> okay. And last quote, I've never understood why it is greed to want to keep the money that you have earned, but not greed to want to take somebody else's money. Gordon Gecko, uh, Wall Street movie, the one quote, yeah. greed is good. Is it greedy to hold on to your money? Is it greedy to want to hold on to somebody else's money? And let's talk about the government standpoint. I have never felt bad about paying taxes because I drive on roads that are built with tax money. I work and I get a paycheck from tax money. I'm now retired and I get a paycheck from tax money. Now, some of it's retirement money I put in, but not much of it really. Mm -hmm. You know, what I contributed to retirement is a, a small portion of what I'm actually gonna get back. So, in that respect, the government taking money in terms of taxes 
to provide services is all right. What's not all right is when that money they take is misused or poorly used. If they take that money that's supposed to provide services, they rebuild the clubhouse at uh, Paxton Park Municipal Golf Course in Paducah with state money. Did they? They did. Okay. That's not right. Because while I personally do benefit from that, because I have over the years played golf at Paxton Park a few times. Mm -hmm. I used to play golf there all the time. Most of the people who paid that tax money gained nothing from that. The governor at the time, who happened to have been from Paducah, Kentucky, as he was leaving office, signed a grant. Thus, when he came back home, he was better loved because there was a new clubhouse at Paxton Park. And that's a a small example of what happens all over the place. So in that respect, the greed of the individuals who misuse the monies that we give them bothers me. The same thing is true in the church. You know, uh, there's an argument over whether you're supposed to tithe 10% or whether that was just an arbitrary number they came up with sounded good. Mm-hmm. And you're just supposed to support the church. And whether that giving to the church includes what you do with the person you know who's downtrodden, you give them a little extra money, is that really giving to the church? I think it is because I think the church is this universal thing. I don't think it's a building on Center Street. But it doesn't bother me to tithe, and I probably tithe close to 10%. What bothers me is if I see the church I'm tithing to then poorly using that money. That's a problem to me. The difference would be between the government and the church, one is voluntary and one is by force of the gun. Threat of prison, force of the gun. But, again, we go back to Christ. Christ said to give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Where did that money I had come from? Well, it's government issued. You know, I wouldn't get paid if the government didn't say I got paid in my case. But, you know, yes, you have to pay taxes, but it's because if it was on a voluntary basis, you would never get the money you need. If you put up a uh, school tax referendum in Hopkins County because we need to replace the old crumbling elementary school at Hanson, Mm -hmm. and you ask the citizens of Hopkins County to improve a three cent raise on their taxes, they're going to vote it down and you're not going to get to build the new school. Well, let's take another topic, particularly politicians. There are certain things that they're pet projects. And like you, you mentioned, the, the clubhouse, but even things that is under the guise of compassion. So, for example, the projects. They're supposed to be helping people, mm-hmm. but nobody wants to walk through them at night. And I think a lot of people who live there don't want to be there. And they become these horrible traps. You think, my money's paying to keep that thing afloat. And it's, you know, it's hurting people. Or it could be any war. Any side can find something that they really don't want to be paying for. That's why we have representatives. Unfortunately, I think our representatives have forgot their title is representative. They seem to think their title is is pseudo-God. When you're dealing with the large picture, you have to have some form of government that represents the people, but not everybody can vote on it because you would never get anything done. Yeah, sure, there are plenty of projects that you can look at that are good projects for the government to do, but somebody else can look at them and say those are bad projects for the government to do, depending on your beliefs and depending on whether it affects you. 
in terms of things like federally subsidized housing, I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing that it's abused. No, it is a good thing that is abused. So when we start talking about something like reforming welfare, I don't want to end welfare. I want to reform it. I don't want to end federal subsidies on housing. I want to reform it. The wonderful thing to me that has happened in our community and and communities throughout the country is Habitat Homes. The whole idea of the Habitat Home is to take that person who financially isn't able to live in a nice home Mm -hmm. and is basically forced to live in federally subsidized housing, whether it's the projects, and yes, we have projects here in Madisonville. Mm -hmm. Now, Habitat for Humanity is completely independent from the government. Exactly. And that's what makes it marvelous is that basically Habitat for Humanity lives off of local donations. Mm -hmm. They select people who they feel are both in need and worthy of being chosen. Now, somebody has to make a standard of what worthy to be chosen is. And they require that those people participate in the process of building the home. And they require that those people make some effort to pay for the home, though the effort is really minimal. They pay a small amount each month for however long. But they have something invested in it. But they have something invested in it. And that's done outside the government. And that's a wonderful thing. Now, it's not totally done outside the government. One of the biggest uh, money makers for Habitat for Humanity in Hopkins County is recycled cans. So if you go out to Walmart, there's a trailer back in the back corner of the parking lot that says Habitat for Humanity. And you can take your Coke cans and I'll dump them in there. They're also at every convenience station here in Hopkins County, which is owned by the government, which is run by the government, the place you take your garbage to. There's a Habitat trailer there. So it's working, and the government is assisting in the work by putting it there. Without corrupting it. Without corrupting it. They're not taking 10% off the top of those cans, or they're not taking in the cans, getting the money, and then giving 80% of it to Habitat. Mm -hmm. They're just allowing Habitat to have the trailer there on their property to make it more convenient for people to give because you have to actually think to take your bag full of cans out to Walmart and put them in there. It can be done. Can it be done on a large enough scale? Because, you know, we build one, two, three habitat homes a year, depending on the year. Some years we build three, some years we only build one. How much of an impact does that have? You know, we have 32,000 people in Hopkins County, and we're affecting five people when we build a habitat house. So will it work on a large scale? One of the political ideas of those people who are small government versus big government is that if we ended the welfare state that we've created, then those people who are in need, somebody would take care of them. Uh, Yeah, I've heard that argument because somebody took care of them before. Right. So it used to be the local churches, charities, men's clubs, clubs, whatever, took care of them. So somebody will take care of them. The question is, will they really? Maybe our culture is different than it was back then because I feel like we're quite a bit more selfish. We are. And we're also a whole lot less trusting. And on the other side, there are people who are more sneaky. Yeah. My wife has a lady who does some uh, sewing for her Mm -hmm. who is on a fixed income, lives in a rundown shack of a house. Nice lady, lives a happy life. She's seven, eight years older than me, looks to be 20 years older than me because she's had a hard life. And she doesn't 
quite make ends meet on her Social Security check. And so my wife will take her out to the grocery once in a while toward the end of the month when things are tight. But if my wife happens not to take her out to the grocery, the lady just does without much in the way of food for two or three days until the next check comes in. Isn't there food banks here? There are, but she doesn't drive, and her family doesn't seem to be willing to help out. And there's a couple of other ladies I know who use her for sewing that do the same kind of thing. That If they see something that she needs, they just kind of buy it and, and give it to her. People will help out. People are good for the most part. We were talking about that last night with my bridge partner. His son is uh, special needs. His son is 57 years old, but uh, probably you know, third grade mental age. And his son has, they found a spot of cancer in, in his son's throat. And so they've got to pour it in to do chemotherapy with and all that. There's a nurse that happens to live next door to my friend. That nurse, when she gets home from work every day, comes over, checks the port, makes sure it's clean, makes sure there's no infection around it. Not because she's paid to do it, but because it's her neighbor. Again, I've never understood why it is greed to want to keep the money that you have earned, but not greed to want to take somebody else's money. Well, if you think about greed or money, you're always taking someone else's money. So someone wins and someone loses. Is that greed? Just because you came out ahead. You're just like the stock market. I like the stock market's going through the roof right now. But there's some people out there betting against the market. There's like, okay, it just can't keep going on forever. You know, the last year over a year, it's just been going through the roof. But there's some people betting against it. You know, stock market goes up and down all the time just throughout history. So there's people that's actually going to make millions and millions of dollars betting against the market, waiting for it to crash. Are you of the belief that if a guy has a million bucks, he's causing someone else to be poor? It's almost like we've only got so much oxygen. That guy's t taking more of his fair share of the oxygen. Okay, how did the guy get his million dollars? Was it swindled from somebody? Did he earn it? Or was it given to him? Was it an inheritance? Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say he made a widget, and everybody wanted to have this widget, the iWidget. And so, because it's popular, he's got several million dollars, we'll say. But because he has that money, do you believe that it took from the hands of somebody else that denied them? Like, now they're struggling because of him. Even if he didn't exist, they'd still be struggling. Oh. He doesn't matter. I'm going to say that, for the most part, if you're poor, it's because you've made bad life decisions. Or you're in a situation where people have made, just like kids being kids being poor, it's not their fault they're poor. Their parents have made bad life decisions. Well, do you agree then that we should equalize things a little bit? No. Why not? Because life isn't fair. It never will be. Just like people collecting welfare now. Sometimes there's legitimate reasons, you know. People have medical conditions, stuff like that. They can't work. But I'm going to say more often than not, they're just lazy. You know, they talk about this income inequality. Is it fair for a physician to make the same amount of money as someone that drives a taxi? Yeah, so why shouldn't they not make equal money? Because everyone can drive. And not everyone can be a physician. Okay, well, specifically a doctor. 
they're helping people, you know, live or do, you know, be healthy and all that. Why should they charge, you know, more than a taxi driver? All you want to do is be healthy and stay alive. And this guy's making money off you, the doctor. You're in a pickle, and he's the only one that can help you. Don't you think that's wrong? That he's charging big bucks. Yeah, but he's in a highly skilled. Like anyone can get a taxi, but not everyone can be a like a cert like a heart surgeon or whatever. I can't be. I got shaky hands. It'd be the most, it'd be the most ugly incision you ever seen in your life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't seem fair. I mean, you were born with shaky hands, I guess. Like I said, life isn't fair. We all agree life ain't fair. So why can't we put our heads together and make it fair? Make it fair. Okay, so are we talking about people that all have jobs? Well. Let's forget about the people that are on government assistance and don't have jobs for whatever reason. Okay, let's talk about the people at McDonald's. People think it's unfair that they only make, was it $10 an hour or something? If that. Yeah. And, you know, a surgeon makes... Okay, a surgeon takes years to hone those skills. You can teach someone to flip burgers at McDonald's in a day. But those people at McDonald's still have similar needs that a doctor does. They probably have... Some have families... I know a lot of them are teenagers or old people, but there's a few in there that you, you can tell that they're probably the mother of a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it seem unfair that they have needs just as much as the doctor, and yet they, they only get paid $10 an hour? Okay, let, let's say we had a law that you all made the same thing. You would disincentivize people going into specialty trades, construction work, positions, things that... You have to spend time and money to acquire the skills to do a certain job. If anyone could go out and just do anything, whatever, people would give the least amount of effort to make the same amount of money as everyone else. Let's forget about someone being a doctor, but someone just makes 100000 or more a year. What do they need all that extra money for anyway? Why can't we just take a little bit from them, and give it to the person that works at McDonald's so they can help with their family. Why am I responsible for someone else? Well, I'm just saying, try to be humanitarian for a minute. They're a CEO, let's say. You know, they need a car, we'll give them that. We'll let them have that. They need to have a house. We'll let them have a a three-bedroom house, a computer, a few things like that. But anything beyond that, they don't necessarily need. They don't need a yacht. They don't need two or three cars. They don't need a 10-bedroom house. Yeah, why can't we just force them to give... And we do. We do force them to give some of their income, too. Right, for taxes and stuff like that. That's yeah. kind and of some forced. Of it goes, some of it goes to the poor. Right. Right. You wouldn't have a country anymore. Why should I give my money to someone that, you know, a lot of people feel don't deserve it? Some people do. I'm not trying to say that, that they don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's situations... You know, like medical things that people are beyond their control, mm-hmm. that they need help. Okay, we, we know one thing that will keep you poor is if, say, you have a child at a wedlock. That's a life decision that that person well, made. Well, they made one mistake. It was a passionate night. They had a couple beers. You know, they made one decision. Why should they be punished for the rest of their lives? Who's punishing them, though? Well, the system. What system? Capitalism. Capitalism is yeah. punishing them? It's, it's a system where... If you have certain skills, we're going to pay you a lot of money, but if you don't fit into our mode, you know, screw you. Those same people can acquire those skills. You just said you that you had shaky hands, you can't be a surgeon. I don't want to be a surgeon, but there's so many other things I could do. With shaky hands? 
Yeah. You could make milkshakes. I could make milkshakes. But they don't pay that well. Right. Capitalism to me means freedom. That if you can go out and do, or try to do, people, a lot of people fail to go out and make money. It's a system set up where anyone can get ahead in life. If you have a system of government, like I said, that doesn't incentivize you to go out and make money, society will crumble. Because if this physician and the person that works at McDonald's makes the same amount of money, you are not going to go out of your way to acquire the skills to become a mm-hmm. physician when you can go to McDonald's and learn that skill in one day and make the same amount of money. Again, I've never understood why it is greed to want to keep the money that you have earned, but not greed to want to take somebody else's money. I don't think there's anything debatable about that. I mean, I think it's absolutely true. I don't think there's anything greedy about wanting to keep the money you've earned. So a lot of times the stereotype is the rich don't want to pay their fair share. If a guy who makes millions of bucks, he's mad because he's paying 40% or something, or he's paying a higher percentage than a guy who's making 20000 a year. I think to want to take someone else's money is greedy. I mean, I think the statement in and of itself, I mean, sure. I don't think, it's like what we were saying before, like, I don't think any rational human being is going to disagree whether they think that we should have socialism or whether they think we should have absolute free market economy, whatever. Greed is a funny thing. Basically, every single human being in America is to a degree greedy compared to the guy that's living on the streets in Calcutta. Because we think oh, well, I need this, or I need I need a new phone. Like, I can't live without. As having seen, again, in third world countries, two destitute people fight over the one little item, their, their prized possession. I remember seeing that, thinking like, oh, wow, we're all the same, even if we're poor or rich, but maybe you disagree with that. No, I mean, that's a good point. That's why I like talking to you, because you call me on my bull <laughs> sometimes. Um, I mean, you know, it's like I was telling you earlier today, off the record, that, like, friends are supposed to say, that's stupid. What are you talking about? Because then that's why you get to be to be a better human being, you know. Now, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I'm making a distinction that what you're describing, two people fighting over something that's theirs, you know, or what, it, I, what was the situation? Two destitute people are fighting over the same little trinket. I believe it was a bottle of alcohol. Okay, so that example is a little tricky because debatably they don't need alcohol. Yeah, I mean, uh, then again, I mean, if they're going to go through severe withdrawal, I mean, I don't really want to do that to somebody. But it's kind of like, you know, if a guy walks up on the street and says, I need money for booze, I'm not going to just hand him money. I think I'm making a distinction like, yes, greed is a human thing. I'm not saying in our country we're uniquely greedy. But what I'm saying is we don't understand the difference between want and need as well. Because someone who's destitute and steals a loaf of bread... That's not greed, in my opinion. That is the human need, and, and we would all do that because we got you know we have this need to stay alive. You know, you could argue we're greedy about staying alive, but I don't think that really is what is meant by this quote. The problem is you have a millionaire, let's say, or and nowadays like a multimillionaire because a million is just nothing. It's like I always joke with people like I don't have to be a multimillionaire. I would just like to be a millionaire, just once. Just give me a million bucks once, and I'd be fine. I don't even have to have it every year. It's a tricky, tricky thing because one man's greed is another man's need, you know? I mean, I think it's 
kind of why it's talked negatively about in the Bible and places like that, because it's a spiritual level psychological problem. It's kind of like an addict. They say, I need alcohol because they've developed a need. And that hinders you and hamstrings you to living a fuller life because it's really not, we only have so many needs and they're already inconvenient. The fact that I have to get up and go take a piss, you know, halfway through having a conversation with someone I really like, I mean, no one gets out of that. And it's inconvenient, you know, but we're physical and that's part of it. You know, that's just an accepted, that's how it is. Greed, I think, is when someone has decided I have to have a new yacht because that's the most important thing in my life and will make me feel better. And I'm not saying someone who's rich automatically is like that. I have no problem with someone who is wealthy. You know, it's, I mean, good for them, you know. I'm smarter than them, so it's okay. I mean, I'm smarter than you. I mean, that's why you're done. No, I'm joking. But, yeah, it's, I think the problem is that people value things over people. And I think that's where a lot of the debate about welfare and about different things comes from. We are the richest country in the world period in a time in which the political system and the the market the way it's set up allows for an extraordinary amount of freedom and wealth that never was possible before i mean if you were born into squalor in the middle ages the very concept of upward mobility didn't exist you just accepted well this is where i'm going to be so there is not this possibility of getting more stuff really. I mean, there's still greed. There's always been greed. I mean, Christ talked about it years before the medieval period, but I think now we have a situation where we've tied in physical possessions with self-value and work being valuable. You know, the work ethic kind of has gotten swept into our belief system in such a way that if you don't work enough, and enough being the tricky word because that's different for everyone's definition, then, then you're not good. You're a bad person because we value work more than we do the quality of the person doing the work. If you're an evil, horrible person, we won't like you, but we'll respect the fact that you're a hard worker, which is kind of weird, you know, that we actually would put that higher in a way than your quality as a human being. It's really like the religion of America, this work ethic. It's taken over. There's a great book called Selling the Work Ethic, and it's Unfortunately, not in print, but you can find used copies. I don't remember the author, but she addresses this idea of how it began as a Calvinist idea of, like, you work and you're blessed because God is blessing you first, and so your your responsibility then is to do something with it. You know, it wasn't that you worked and that's why you deserved it, but somehow it became that. And then it became secularized to where it's like, well, I want a bunch of stuff, so I'm just going to work. And then it became an obsession This is my problem with modern life in a lot of ways in in America is we value the job more than anything else. That is our form of worship. Whether we say it's something else or not, that is our religion because we have nothing else. We're told that we need things. It leaves an inherent emptiness when work is the only reason you're alive. But because of that emptiness, we try to fill it and people make a bunch of stuff and we consume that and that employs other people who turn around and then they can consume other stuff and then advertisers go oh this is a really good racket because as long as we keep them you know feeling a need and an emptiness and comparing themselves to you know people who are like famous then they're going to keep buying stuff and that keeps the world going around the problem is when you retire or when you lose your job through no fault of your own you have defined your sense of meaning and purpose in this life as a worker 
if you remove the job, you remove the meaning and the value and your worth as a human being. And I think this is the error that occurs in situations where we talk about welfare and we assume that everybody universally, I'm not saying you do, but like some people universally assume if you're out of work, you're sponging off the government and you're taking quote unquote other people's money, which really, I mean, who's doing the work that's allowed you to be a CEO? I mean, it's kind of that Marxist idea, which I think is dead on as far as you, that the worker is what enables the owner to have a life and to be rich. So it's only fair that he appreciate that fact and actually give back to them in some way. Now, you can argue that's in their paycheck, but as we've seen, I mean, the cost of living has gone up and pay has not. And I think that reveals a lot about just humanity. And I think that's greed. And it really even ties into the whole people argue about taxes and the government. Well, what do you want us to do? That's why I think libertarianism is ultimately un... It's just not feasible. I think it's kind of naive because the government does stuff. You need money to do stuff. And to say, well, I don't benefit from it, so I don't want to pay for it, is very short-sighted. I mean, you, you benefit. That's, that's that rugged American individualism kind of becoming a disease because you benefit from so many people you don't know. I mean, you know, when it comes down to it, I think that the bigger national security issue, if you will, is not how big our military is, but it's also how intelligent is our populace and how healthy is our populace? Because if we have a sick population, they can't fight. If we have a stupid population, there's no innovation and we're going to lose wars. So that goes, you know, obviously, I mean, fund education, fund, you know, health care, because that is critical. Just because you personally aren't suffering from it doesn't mean that that's not affecting you or won't. I mean, you don't want a heart surgeon who, like, didn't do well in school and that will impact you like it's we're all in this together but we have this idea this strange notion that by ourselves we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps which is impossible it is just impossible because you got to get to work someone had to build that car you know you got to eat to stay alive long enough to pull yourself up by those bootstraps who made those bootstraps you know it wasn't you probably because we don't know how to do a damn thing anymore i think people have this idea in, in countries where there's not a lot of like wealth that oh these poor bastards they don't have TVs and they don't have hamburgers. They must be miserable. This must be sitting around going, man, I wish I was in America today because it'd be so much better if I could just go to McDonald's and get a Happy Meal because I love those toys. But get my collectible action figure of, you know, the president or whatever. But what I realized when I actually went to the Sudan was these people are very happy. It's not like they're sitting around going, oh, I don't have this, I don't have that, because they have no comparison point. You know, they may be aware of it, but what I did realize was they're actually better off than me. And the reason I say that is if they needed a house, they would build a house. If they needed to eat, they would, you know, raise cattle, slaughter them, and eat them. They didn't need all this other stuff. We are actually in a highly dependent culture where we cannot do anything because it's all been outsourced, in a manner of speaking. My house was built by another person. I couldn't begin to run the electricity. My food, I have to get from the store you know raising chickens would be challenging to me let alone like livestock and all this stuff so i think greed at its heart comes down to i don't need anyone else that's a form of greed i think greed is something where you say that i'm in a way better than another person because i should get whatever i want 
and other people be damned if it hurts them or if or if it takes from them. So yes, if you're poor and you say I want to get a government handout because I deserve it and that guy with all the money doesn't. Well, that's not balanced, but it's just as imbalanced to say I'm wealthy because I deserve it. Yes, you can work hard and you can make a lot of money, but it's not a guarantee. That's the lie of the American dream. Like you can't just decide I'm going to be wealthy. And let's not forget about the people that are trust fund kids who they've had wealth their whole life. They haven't worked for any of it. And I kind of have the belief, ultimately, it boils down to this. Like, let's make an argument, a hypothetical argument that let's just take welfare because I think that's kind of where this question leads. For every 10 people on welfare, let's say just to be crazy, nine of them are totally just using it. They're just being lazy. They don't want to work and they're just stealing from the government, right? There's one person, if they didn't have welfare, they would die, and so would their kids. I'm kind of of the opinion there's no dollar value you can put on a human life. So honestly, do you want to kill one person and their family so that you can feel good about yourself and that these other nine people are, are that justice has been served? Or is it okay because a human life is worth more than those other nine people that are you know, using the system? I, I, I'm of the opinion that, yes, welfare needs to be reformed and fixed, because you shouldn't just be okay with that. That would be terrible if 9 out of 10, well, yeah, that's stupid. But even in that extreme situation, I don't think anyone is going to say, well, let the family die. Yeah, there's obviously there's always going to be evil. There's always going to be people who are lazy. There's always going to be people who are greedy and all that. You can't realistically eliminate that, but that's a false argument to then say, well, then we shouldn't even try. And I feel like that's where a lot of people are getting in our country rather than trying to think of the hard questions and see gray, you know, shades of gray, basically. Again, I've never understood why it is greed to want to keep the money that you have earned, but not greed to want to take somebody else's money. Uh, I haven't understood that either. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I used to live and breathe politics. It was all I cared about. I was uh, outside of some social issues, which I'm probably more conservative on that now. I was just diehard conservative. Um, you know, I just thought, you know, if, if you can take care of yourself, take care of yourself. You know, it's, if you can't, if you truly can't, then it's time to step in and somebody give you a hand. But, uh, you know, all these people that want to, you know, take my tax money and build a park in a low-income area that's going to be used for gangbangers. This is how I used to look at it. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's just asinine. It doesn't make any sense. You're going to build a greenway that goes to nowhere just so some people can go jog and you're going to spend a million dollars to do it, which is ten times more than any house I could ever imagine cost. But I, I guess now what I see is just I have more of a problem with true laziness and true irresponsibility. You know, people that it's not that they can't work or it's not even that they've been dealt a bad hand. You know, you could give them a million dollars and tell them to go change the world and they're just going to do the same thing they're already doing. They don't have ambition. They're happy with the status quo. And that was something that I still think is a problem with socialism and liberalism mm -hmm. is you give people just enough to keep them coming back for more. And if they get just enough unhappy to where they're not really looking at you as their personal deity to provide them with sustenance anymore, then you take a little bit more from the people that have and give it to them to raise their, uh, their standard of life. I think greed's a weird thing. You can kind of take this word greed and it means, you know, just, just 
holding on to everything, keeping it for yourself. Yeah, you always see uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Right. He's usually the, exactly. the patron saint of greed. Yeah, I think greed is just this lump word that gets thrown around in a bunch of different situations. It's a demonizing you know, word. It, it's definitely a demonizing word. I think a lot of people that would be perceived as being greedy look at their greed as self-preservation. I know that you know Dave Ramsey, the guy that talks about finances and stuff on the radio all the time, he talks about the importance of giving. A friend of mine, and he, he was my boss, and then we uh, kind of got on the same level after some advancements. He was a investment banker before the stock market really crashed back in, I guess, 06, 07, 08, that time period. And uh, when he lost his job doing that, he came into the retail world. And I was talking to him about just investments and stuff mm-hmm. I should look at in the future. And and uh, at this point, I, he knew I had uh, recently been saved and had uh, you know started following Christ. And you know, I was talking to him about how I tithe, and it was just the weirdest thing. Like the day I tithed, and I didn't even know what tithing was. I just knew of it as giving money. I was making nine dollars an hour and working like 24 hours a week at this point. I gave twenty dollars to uh, to the church just because I felt like I needed to do this. It, it wasn't 10 percent of what I earned, hardly or made roughly. I, I guess it was, but. Um, you know, within a week of doing that, I had a job offer making twice as much as I made. In the Bible, it's the only place God says you can test him is with your finances. You know, he says, you know, if you give to me, I'll give to you in ways that you can't even measure or imagine. Not to get off on the sake of greed, but what I was getting at with that is, uh, you know, this guy said, you know, I told him kind of my story and how I started making what I was making and all this and what led to it. And he was like, you know, I'll tell you. And I tell it to everybody I've ever counseled. I'm not religious. I don't care who you give the money to, but you have to give the money because anybody that doesn't, if they're not giving something, they always end up losing it. And I'm sure there's an exception to that rule, but this guy, he's not religious at all. And, uh, you know, he could probably look at it as, you know, giving money to a pro-life cause. If you believed in that, you're being charitable and you're Mm -hmm. giving the money to that. And he said there is an absolute undeniable precedent for giving money towards something you believe in Mm -hmm. and maintaining and growing what you have and uh, Dave Ramsey says the same thing you know when you hit that last step you build wealth and you give he doesn't just say build wealth he says you build wealth and you give as I uh, have gone through my life change I would be perceived as being much less conservative when it comes to um, fiscal issues, when it comes to helping out the poor, because I feel like we're called to do so. But at the same time, you know, you can't have two masters because you're going to love one and hate the other. Mm -hmm. And if you're being forced to give money, Mm -hmm. especially if you it's not part of your um, your ideals, Mm -hmm. then true uh, uncultivated generosity is not going to be something that comes naturally to you because you already feel like you're just being torn apart. Mm-hmm. So why give anything extra? Why give anything more? Why do anything to actually better people's lives? Yeah. Um, and the other part of that is, you know, taxation. You're wasting 90% of the money on administrative costs. Only, you know, 10 cents out of every dollar of this tax actually goes to the benefit of what it was taxed to do. Everything else gets just lost, mm-hmm. gets eaten up, gets devoured by committees and salaries and secretaries. The whole idea, I mean, yeah, I would not by any way call the United States an overall socialist government, but anything that is going to sit there and devour 90% of what it's designed to take in in order to preserve or empower or just make a better standard of life for people, that's socialism. You know, with the charities that my wife and I give to now, we won't give to any charity that doesn't send at least 97% of the money to the cause that it's 
designed to go for. Man, you guys are harsh. Um, we, and we I, are, I don't mean that in a mean way, but like this subject has come up a lot, and a lot of people will admit they just don't even check it. They know they should. Yeah. You gotta hold their feet to the fire. And there's a lot of scams out there. There are. It's it's really unfortunate. And, you know, it's the nutty thing about the internet. You can find all the information you want, and you can find any answer you want. You just gotta look on a different page. When we're trying to figure out who we're gonna give money to, first thing, we pray about it. But the second thing, we're gonna do our research. And luckily, there are accredited foundations mm -hmm. that truly go and hold these people accountable to what they do. And they measure it, and they have metrics that you can see that they measure against to see what they're actually doing with the funds that you give them. And then you consult the Ouija board. Yeah, you know, that's just a natural byproduct of the next <laughs> the step. The 20-sided die. That's, that's right. Where's Milton Bradley when you need him? And now the source of the quotes. The fish said to the water, you cannot see my tears because I am in the water. The water said to the fish, I can feel your tears because you are in my heart. It is from, well, we don't know where it came from. It's part of a bigger poetic conversation between the fish and its water that is often posted on personal blogs throughout Asia. One friend thought it might have came from the Japanese writer Haruki Murakami, but we can never confirm that for sure. So sorry about that. I've never understood why it is greed to want to keep the money that you have earned, but not greed to want to take somebody else's money. It is from Thomas Sowell, an American intellectual giant, to put it mildly, having accomplished several roles in life ranging from economist to social theorist to historian to political philosopher. In the Corner, Black Rod of the Woodpile is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for Spun Counter Guy. You can send us an email via spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. The podcast is also hosted on iTunes and podbean.com. Peace and chicken grease! <laughs>